Wow. He's a wonderful, wonderful God. All Things for Good is the title of my message today as we turn to Romans chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians. wanted to let you know that years ago there was a pastor in the Midwest who one of his congregation members, an uh, uh, elderly lady, had baked a pie as a show of love, gave it to the pastor after uh, the service was over, and um, the pastor and his wife took it home, and after having a good Sunday lunch, they cut the pie, began to eat it, and it was like, yuck. <laughs> they could barely get it out of their mouth and spitting it out. They tried another slice, and though the, they had to dump the whole thing. And the wife turned to her husband and said, you know, um, you got to write a thank you note for her. And so he sat down and he thought, how can I be truthful and tactful at the same time? And so he wrote, he says, dear Mrs. Jones, thank you for being so kind and thoughtful. You can rest be assured that a pie like yours never lasts long at our house. So, praise the Lord. Romans chapter 8, verses 28-29. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness or the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17 says this, Therefore, we do not lose heart. We don't become discouraged. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Father, thank you. In these next few moments, we pray. I ask your blessings on me as I give the word, O Lord, the eternal word that you wrote so long ago, still uh, apropos, still meaningful, still powerful for today. And we thank you for this time. Anoint it to our hearts. Help us to change in Jesus' name. It was October 1990. I had resigned my teaching position after 10 years at Capital Christian School. And um, that was uh, at the end of the summer. I found out that I wasn't going to be getting the courses that I wanted to teach, and that was my fleece before the Lord. God, if I don't get what I wanted to teach, I'm, I, I've, that's your sign for me to resign. So I did. I resigned, and uh, I didn't know what to do next. I was kind of in a quandary. And so I got a job vacuuming floors at a furniture company and delivering pizzas at a pizza place down on the, uh, Broadway and 21st, 21st and W, actually. It was called Buffalo Pizza and Ice Cream Company. No longer there. A different store is there. And so that's what I did. During the day, I vacuumed floors at night, uh, delivered pizzas, and uh, so it was quite a deal. I had, at the time, a 1987 Yugo. Remember the Yugos? And so I remember when I bought the Yugo in 1987, one of my teaching friends said, you bought a Yugo, Carol? You bought a Yugo? Oh, that's so funny. 
Uh, unfortunately, the car lasted longer than he did. He passed away not too long ago. And so it was in the evening, October evening. I had just finished a delivery, and I was heading down uh, 15th Street, one-way street. Some of you are familiar with the streets. 15th one-way, 16th one-way, the 15th one-way heading west. And I was heading back to the shop. Buffalo Pizza Ice Cream Company was on the other side of the freeway. And I was getting up next to a line of cars, and all of a sudden, a car turns right in front of me and wham, hits me on the side panel in the back. Hugo only had two doors, and it hit the side panel. Good thing it didn't hit uh, the door itself. And so I screeched to a halt, pulled over to the side of the road. The guy got out of the car and says, everything okay? He had just come out of a bar. And so we talked a little bit. I got his information, and a good thing I was still able to drive. And so I went back to the shop and told my boss what happened. He says, Carol, uh, go on home. Uh, you know, this kind of a this shake you, takes you up when you have an accident. And so I, I was not happy about that because I could still drive the car. And I lost work hours, and I lost tips. And so I decided to, to go home. At the time of the accident, I wasn't working. We were struggling financially. And I was thinking to myself, are you kidding me? This is all I need right now. What am I going to do? And so when I went home and I showed my wife the big dent on the right rear panel, my wife is a very practical lady, I can tell you that. She's not that emotional. I, I think I'm more emotional than she is. I think our roles are reversed in our family. She's a very practical lady. She shook her head. She says, can you still drive the car? Yeah. She says, was it the other guy's fault? Yeah, he was half loaded. She says, did you get his information? Yeah. She says, okay, call the insurance company and we'll settle it. And so that's what I did. And we waited. Meanwhile, I went back to work, vacuuming floors during the day and at night, delivering pizzas. We got the insurance check in the mail. And we did not fix my 87 Yugo. We used the money to help pay for that month's mortgage. And so it just so happened that we didn't know how we were going to pay it. And that was God's way of handling that. Not all adverse things that happen to us are so light and work out so well. Some are extremely life-changing and hard, serious medical issues. I know, I've been through some myself. Loss of job, family and marriage issues, car problems, Think of the Paradise Fire victims right now. Some of them, the, the last 200 or 300 of them, so many of them were you know, displaced. Everything burned to the ground. And they were living at the Silver Dollar Fairgrounds in Chico, and they closed that down. And so they had, they had to find their own place. Think of what they're going through right now. What do you do? Where do you go? Who do you talk to? The usual first thought that somebody has when they're going through something is, why me? Why did this happen to me? God, can't you pick on somebody else besides me? I don't need this in my life right now. 
And if we live long enough on this earth, each of us has a better than average chance of experiencing some very, very serious problems. Sooner or later, it will happen if it already hasn't. No one escapes having some kind of trouble, adversity, or hardship, or suffering in this life. Nobody gets through there. Where did this begin? How come this is it? So many people think, oh, this is the reason, this is the reason. No, we go back to the Bible, in the book of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve decided to disobey God and chose to, uh, to not follow his command by eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God said to them, you can have any tree in this garden, but do not touch that tree. He was testing them, not that the tree or the fruit was poisonous or the, the, the tree would give them hives. No, he was testing their obedience, and they failed on this one thing, as we all have. We failed by being disobedient to God's instructions. And when they disobeyed, sin came into their hearts. And we have inherited that sin through the generations. And with sin comes trouble. With sin comes disease. With sin comes heartache. It's an integral part of the human existence on planet Earth. I remember a ministry friend of mine was heading to the big leagues in baseball. Uh, he, was, he was good. The guy could fire a fastball 98 miles an hour. Pretty good. In his first year of college, on a full boat scholarship, he threw his arm out. The rotator cuff was torn, ripped in shreds in his right arm. And he came down also at the same time with what they call the Tommy John tendonitis in his arm. So he was, he was over. His pitching days were over. He went into a dark place, a depression, began to drink alcohol, began to do gambling. Someone came to him by the grace of God and spoke to him about salvation and about Christ and about his purpose in life. And he got gloriously saved. And from that, God called him into the ministry. He found his purpose for life. And I remember him telling me, and he's the pastor of a very successful church in the Midwest. And I remember him telling me, he said, Barry, I would have never experienced salvation and learned my life calling had I gone into baseball. I would have never have found Christ. In the Bible, there are scores of passages about God's people getting into trouble. <laughs> you think you get into trouble? Read some of these dudes. Lots of trouble they get into. Some of it, it's no fault of their own. Others, they make their own choices and they dig their own graves and trouble comes knocking at their door. After Christ's death, and resurrection and ascension into heaven. The church of Jesus Christ began to grow. There were literally hundreds and thousands of Jewish people converting to Christianity. And there was one famous Jew there. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, very strict in the law. And when he saw that this thing was happening, he was angry. He did not want people to abandon the, the, the law and the righteousness that he felt that came from the law. And so he began to persecute them. He began to round them up 
and he began to put them in jail and arrest them. These people called Christians, which is a term, it's a derogatory term, it means little Christ, he went after them. Matter of fact, he was determined to wipe out this Christian sect, S-E-C-T, from Jewish, uh, from, from Jewish uh, the religion and completely wipe it off the map. And he was on his way to Damascus from Jerusalem, on the road to Damascus, because he had heard that the, it had spread, this Christian sect had spread into other lands, and it was a big center was in Damascus. So this man named Saul was on his way to find these Jews, arrest them, and drag them back to Jerusalem. He even had a note from the high priest in the temple in Jerusalem to do that. And on his way to Damascus, he met the Lord Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Whoa! He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul asked, Who are you, Lord? He replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound and the voice, but they did not see anyone. And when Saul got up off the ground, when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And for the next three days, he was absolutely blind. He was led by the hand into Jerusalem. There he met a man named Ananias, who, when God talked to him, said, I want you to go to the street called Straight. There is a man named Saul. I want you to pray over him to restore his sight. I'm going to use him to proclaim the gospel. Ananias goes, uh, God, you know, he's not such a good guy for the church. God says, leave it to me. I'll take care of it. And so that's what happened when Ananias laid his hands on Saul. Scales fell off of Saul's eyes. He was able to see and from that moment on, Saul became a firebrand for God and for promoting the Christianity and having it spread throughout the known world. Matter of fact, he wrote many of the books in the, Old, in the New Testament. He wrote letters to the Christians in Rome, Romans. He wrote letters to the Christians in Corinth. 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He wrote letters to the church in Galatia, Galatians, to Ephesus, Ephesians, to Colossae, Colossians, and Philippians. He wrote 12, possibly 13 books in the New Testament. This is the firebrand of Saul. And it never changed his name to Paul. It never would have happened had God not knocked him off of his horse. And two of the scriptures that he wrote about God working all things together for good are in his writings. Let's go over them very quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. It is therefore, we do not lose heart. It's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to, be, to lose heart. 
it's easy to, to, to give up, to be disappointed and discouraged and to give up walking that walk with Christ. The world is pounding on us in all phases saying, look, you don't need this. The, the, you know, the, have fun and, and just ignore what, what these Christians are telling you. Do what your, your flesh, your heart is telling you to do. As we age, especially as our bodies get weaker and less mobile, we become discouraged, get sicker often, and it lasts longer. But, it says, our inward man is being renewed day by day. The outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being strengthened. The more we connect with Christ, the stronger we become, both in the word of God and as we gather together on Sunday mornings. We're stronger. That's why I, I keep harping like an angel in heaven. Please don't miss church if at all possible. <laughs> and it says in verse 17, all of your troubles are light and momentary. Pastor, they don't, they don't seem very light. I'm going through something pretty heavy. Compared to the eternal torment and pain of hell, our trouble is light and it's momentary. It's very, very brief in our eternal existence. What we're going through right now is very, very brief. It's a small pixel in our large screen on our iPhones. It's a dot on the line. What we're going through is temporary. And God is using these troubles to work in us his divine character. And these things that he's working in, these troubles that cause that far outweigh, outweigh the glory that God is giving us, far outweigh these troubles. Now look, look, Romans 8, Romans 8, 28 and 29. It says, and we know, we're assured of, that all things work together for good. Every situation, right? Every situation. All things work together for good. God is working things into our hearts. Pastor, it hurts. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. I've experienced life, and there's more God willing that I will experience. It ain't over yet. The fruit of the Spirit, God is more concerned about than how much money we make or how much influence we have. The fruit of the Spirit is our love and our joy and our peace and our patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These things money cannot buy, but we, we just can't walk into a store and order those. It has to be worked into our heart. And the only way that it can happen is through adversity. I remember... When I was a young Christian, I was fascinated by the brother in the church in Chico where he got saved. He was really, really good with wood. I mean, he was a woodworker par excellence. He could bake anything out of wood. And I was talking to him one day about adversity, about trouble. And I said, Glenn, why? And he, he, he took block you know, you put sandpaper, wrap it around with a piece of wood, and you can, you can handle it better. And he said, see the sandpaper? He said, 
if I wanted to smooth off the edge of this desk, he said, and I wanted to do it quickly, would I use really fine sandpaper or would I use medium coarse or would I use really heavy coarse? And I said, well, you use heavy. He said, exactly right. He said, sometimes God has to use heavy coarse sandpaper to work in our hearts. You know what I mean? I mean, if you're as stubborn as I am, I think God has used up a lot of heavy, uh, coarse sandpaper in my life because I'm hard-headed. But that's how it works. It's interesting because the final result of his wood was awesome. It was amazing. But he had to shape it first. And that's what God is doing in our hearts. He's shaping us more into the image of his son, Jesus. And that's where we want to be. We want to be more like him. I don't want to be more like Barry Carroll. I'm tired of Barry Carroll. Barry Carroll gives me gas. <laughs> and then verse 29, for these for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God knew us. Listen, before the world was created, God knew us. He had us in mind before he breathed the breath of life and flung the stars into orbits with the planets and the galaxies and, the, and all of that stuff. He knew us and he knew that he would create us, and he knew that we would be needed to be conformed to the image of his son. And so he did that. The insert in your bulletin. Take the notes if you wish. They'll be up on the board. All things for good. Number one, man's perspective. Man is very self-oriented. We're creatures of selfishness. Proverbs and, 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 and self-oriented, we, we don't want to change. We like it the way we are. Most of us do. I, I don't want to change. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very much. But the Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 2 says, All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but God weighs the heart. God knows what comes out of us. And we're not right. It's not good. We do need to change. And we want everything to go our way. We want everything to fall into place. I have a list of things that I pray about for my own soul. <laughs> I, I, call, I call it CUDA, K-U-D-A. I'm not going to share with you what each of those letters represent. It's personal, but I pray over those just about every day. And one of them is uh, D, is a demanding spirit. I demand that things go my way. There was a TV commercial years ago, and uh, there was this guy whose license plate said, Bob... And he was on both sides, front and back. And he was driving, and a cop pulled him over. And he was going a little bit fast. And the cop walked up, and he goes, Oh, Bob, I'm sorry, this, I'm sorry, not, not a problem. Well, all along the highway were markers, you know, Bob. Uh, one, highway 116, Bob, you know. So, it, like, everywhere Bob went, it all just fell into place. Well, that doesn't happen. It's not life. Things don't fall into place. Things get messed up. They get twisted. They get turned around. What is our reaction? And then, of course, we think that we're the center of our world. Everything revolves around us. I know there are some people who are way up in years, yet they are... They're babies emotionally, because they still want everything to go their way. 
There's where control issues come in. Some of you know all about that. Letter B, worldly. Man's perspective is worldly. He prefers the world's way of getting pleasure, selfish pursuits, self-gratification. If it feels good, do it. God is the one that provides pleasure and provides joy. Psalm 16 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The more we're in his presence, the more joy and the pleasure, the deep eternal pleasure we feel. The devil has bad imitations. He throws at us alcohol, tobacco. He throws at us illicit sex. He throws all kinds of things at us to get us to think, okay, this is, this is cool. This is what I want to do. But it's it's the, the, the diminishing returns. The more you do it, the less you feel good. <sighs> then we are very critical of those who disagree with us. We don't like it when somebody doesn't see things the way we do. I, I'm the first to raise my hand there. We're critical of those who don't measure up to our standards. Each of us has a standard of what we, they want the other people. Man, that is a marriage killer. You have a standard of what your wife or your husband ought to be, and when they don't meet up those standards or they fall short, it's like, hmm. And then we like to condemn those who hurt us, who hurt me, condemn those who are different than us. We condemn them. We don't like them. For some reason, they just, uh, and it just, uh, it's a condemnation. It's a judgment that they're not uh, as good as we are. They're, they're not uh, favored as we are. That's what man's perspective is. And then we like to get revenge on anyone who hurts us. That's another topic down the road that I'll be addressing. Revenge. Make my day. Number two, God's perspective. Just the opposite. God and others oriented. God wants you to change from self-orientation to God orientation and others. That's where the real joy comes in. And God uses adversity and trouble to get our attention and to reveal our selfishness and our sinful character. I know sometimes I drive my wife nuts with the things that I say and do. And I think, hey, Nothing wrong with that. I'm cool. But no, there is something wrong. If I'm not thinking about her, the other person, God wants to lift our eyes off this world as our true home. I think that's the problem with many Christians is that they look around them and they say, I've, I've arrived. This is my true home. Well, no, it's not. This is not your final home. This is a, trans, a poor substitute for your final home. You're on the journey. You're on the way. God desires my transformation from self-oriented to others-oriented. Oriented. It's a process. The transformation hurts sometimes, but it needs to happen. God wants us to be instruments of righteousness in his hand in order to bless others. He wants us uh, you know, I mean, God, God could have come down again and just cleaned out 
all of the, the sin and the aggravation and the famine and all of the murders, just wiped everything out. But no, he did that long ago with Noah and his family. He saved them and, and completely wiped off the world. And then he told Noah, when Noah got out of the ark, Noah noticed a rainbow. And he noticed the rainbow and God said, that's my covenant. I will not wipe out humankind anymore. And so he brought Jesus in to show us who God really was, his character. And when Jesus left, he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is now going to reside in you. And you're going to be little Christ, Christians in this world. And you're going to shine your light as Christians. And you're going to be used as instruments of righteousness in this world. Hallelujah. And then let her be God's perspective is heavenly and eternal. The ultimate goal is to be changed into the image of Jesus, the image of Christ, to take on his character. Oh, man, I'm telling you. Sometimes I think, did those disciples, did they have a brain at all? I mean, were, were, they, were they not playing with the full deck? They walked with Jesus every day. They saw what he did. He raised the dead. He spoke life into people. He healed the blind man. He touched the leper and it was healed. And he put his fingers in those who were deaf and they were able to hear. I mean, he, he did all that he could to show people that he was the very fullness of God in his heart. And the disciples kept thinking, who is this guy really? Jesus asked them one day, he says, who do men say that I am? One of them says you're Elijah that's come back from the dead, and another is John the Baptist. Finally, Peter gets a clue. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. The ultimate goal is to be changed into the image of Christ and to realize that our eternal home is where our true home is. I'm going to see you guys in our eternal home one day. You're going to come up to my door. Pastor Barry, can I come in? Certainly, come on in and enjoy the, the wondrous beauty. And I'm going to go over to your house and I go, Pam, can I come in? I think, Pastor Barry, come on in. And we're going to enjoy the fellowship with each other throughout eternity. There'll be no more death, no more growing old, no more. Uh, I, I had a hard time getting up from, from bed this morning. Uh, and when I get up from bed, all these thoughts start attacking me. We're not going to experience that anymore. It's going to be a wonderful place. And then God wants to bless us with eternal rewards that are given for our faithfulness, our perseverance, our virtuous acts of service. Some of us don't realize the rewards that God has in store for each of us as we do his will. It, you don't have to preach to thousands of people like a Franklin Graham or Billy Graham did. No, you could reach and give a cup of cold water in his name to someone close to you, your family even, to love. start there in your family and work outward. You can do all these things. And God says, whatever you do in my name, I remember you will receive a, a, and a reward for that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We have a lot to look forward to. It's good stuff. So what would you prefer? Man's perspective or God's perspective? 
I don't know about you, but I'd rather go with God. There's so much good there. But it has to, you have to walk through the valley of sorrow, of adversity to get there. Yeah, it's necessary. We've got to change. And that sandpaper has to be rough. Man's perspective, God's perspective. Man's perspective, self-oriented, worldly. God's perspective, God and others oriented and heavenly and eternal. I want you to see this special that I picked up from uh, James Carden, that English, that's like a, uh, uh, the talent show, forget the guy, that, you, you know what I mean, he's got an English accent, James, he, he does karaoke in his car with somebody, anyway, I forgot his name, yeah, I want you to see this and to see what adversity can do when it's worship. So who's next to face the wall of the world? Let's take a trip to Japan to find out. バイオリンは7歳から始めました。バイオリンはとっても大好きでしたが、私の時に大きなトラックを使って事故に遭いました。今まで大好きだったバイオリンを諦めるしかありませんでした。夢も希望も失って学校も1年間休学して家に引きこもりました。すごく気になってたのが母がいつかお母さんのために
given up, said, I, I'm going to turn everything in, but she didn't. And uh, she had a mother who said, I want you to stick with it. I want you to keep going. And she did. And look what she does now. She inspires people. Just looking at this, you go, God, if she can do something like that, what am I capable of doing? I can do anything. Hallelujah. I want you to bow your heads with me. It says, all things work together for good for those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. With all heads bowed, I want us to bow this morning to his will. To his will. What is his will for your life? His will for your life is to be obedient no matter what happens. I want you to say in your heart, God, I accept adversity. I don't want to fight it. If something comes out of my control, help me to accept it and to make lemonade out of lemons. Help me, Lord, to quit demanding things to go my way. I give up demanding. Help me, God, to ask you to take away my critical, my judgmental heart. Do that, O oh God, because it doesn't do anything but destroy and separate. And help me, Lord, to be conformed and changed into your image. If that's your prayer today, I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's my prayer. I, I want that to happen in my life. I want to be conformed to your image. I don't want to fight adversity. I don't want to, um, I, I want to be obedient to your will. Lord, that's my cry. As a minister of the gospel, I'm so far from your perfection, your purity, your holiness. But Lord, I, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going. Because I know that all things work together for good. In those adverse and sorrowful times, you are working out the character of Christ in me. Thank you for that. And Lord, I ask you to bless each of my brothers and sisters here today. Bless them, O oh God. Bless them, lift them up, encourage them, and remind them how much you do love them and that you are for them and that you are going to see them cross the finish line one day in victory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for that. And now may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you today and through all of this week. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.